0: The Future of Photography
1: Hey Chris, how you doing? Oh, doing good as usual. Doing good as usual. Do you know what as usual? That's a nice thing, to be doing good (laughs) as usual. (laughs) Well, I try at least, I try oh uh, yes so well me, me too me too although as, uh, as I said just before we hit the record button I've got phones and computers going off all over the place today so
2: as but usual hey-ho. as well. <laughs> as, usual, as
1: usual as well yeah yeah such such is life but I tell you actually get good point to start with the as usual thing because actually this show this week is going to be a little bit slightly unusual because we have a guest Um, so we're going to have yeah hooray we're going to have a three-way conversation uh, this week and uh, I'm looking forward to it really looking forward to this I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation um, and we're going to because we're going to talk about things that we love to talk about on the show, um, including uh, maybe making some wild speculations, which, of course, is a favourite sport. So. As usual. <laughs> As usual. So, uh, well, let tell you what, let me jump in because we've, we've got him very, very politely sitting by the sidelines waiting to be introduced. He um, is our new friend, uh, James Arteus. Have I got the pronunciation of your surname right, James? Yes, it's very geographical. So people
0: from the north of the country tend to say Arteus. People from the south say Arteus. Arteus, and everyone else just says James.
1: So okay, either let's of those go with. <laughs> well, James, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. <laughs> okay, so well, the, you and I were were put in touch by uh, by somebody who helped us uh, set this up, um, because I, uh, as listeners know, uh, attended uh, with great interest and energy the photography show uh, a couple of weeks back, as we record this now, um, in March twenty nineteen at the NEC in Birmingham, and and that's an event that that you have quite a strong connection with yourself, um, and if I get the chain right here, um, the photography show is organised by a company called future plc or future um and uh, your role in there is as editor of a a, a web news site if that's the right term digital camera com, uh, which is also part of the future group is that correct that's correct yes indeed sir and uh, yeah so so your your role at the show i mean apart from apart from reporting i guess you you spent quite a lot of time there yourself did you yes um so we were on the show open to the public on the on the saturday
0: so we were there um myself and the editorial guys were there on the Friday sort of scouting things out, annoying the different um, brands they were setting up their stands and, you know, when you're getting out your kit and setting up your screens and stuff and you really don't want to be bugged by press, that's when we swooped in to sort of say, hey, what have you got? What's new? What's exciting? What can you show us? What can't you show us? What can you tell us about? What didn't you get a chance to tell us about before? So we had that sort of conversation on the Friday, bugging the trade, scoping out the news, you know, seeing what was going on at the show um, then, you know, feet on the ground the whole way through until the show finished on Tuesday so it was, it's a fairly... Um, grueling doesn't make it sound very appealing because obviously from a public standpoint, you come to the show and it's very exciting and you've got sort of from, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. seeing new and exciting and cool stuff. But when you're there, either as press or as trade, you know, you're there not just during the show, you're there after the show finishes, you go back to the hotel, you're still doing stuff for the next day. So it's kind of like it's a full-on grueling trip. So, uh, And the other thing, of course, is being in the NEC, it's a little bit like being in Vegas because there's no clocks on the wall. So you can't <laughs> tell what time it is. There's no windows. So you can't see whether it's n- night or day. So it always just feels like Saturday at 4 p.m. So you kind of get out of there on the Tuesday feeling jet-lagged because you've no idea what time of day it is, what day of the week it is. All you know is like, wow, I just – you remember all the specs of all the stuff you've seen, and you can feel the hole in your pocket from all the money you've just spent and all the cool stuff. But, um, yeah, certainly from our point of view, working the show, it was a lot of hard work. But it was a really great show. I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff shown this year. Um, something old, something new, as we, we've sort of alluded to in our, in our earlier chat. Um, it, it was really, I think, it's probably the – one of the best years, if not the best year of the show I've been to. I mean, it started, gosh, what would it be now, five or six years ago? And I remember being the first show since Future took it over from being the Focus on Imaging show. And um, there was a lot of sort of, talk at the time like oh how's it going to be different or is it still going to be sustainable and the show certainly seems to have gone from strength to strength each year um and this year certainly from my perspective I I had more fun this year looking at more things and talking to cool people than I have done in in a long time so yeah yeah from, from my perspective it was it was a fantastic show and um I think you had a similar experience in terms of some of the things that you you saw and picked up
1: on as well. Oh, I did yeah very much actually um I mean I only had the opportunity to be there for one day for the, for the Saturday um, but had a, I had a thoroughly great day um, had, had a, a meetup of people from actually from from my other podcast sunny sixteen lots of stuff to see uh, lots of spe- lots of people to talk to um, and uh, you know from that sprung the idea to say well okay you know um it, you, you mentioned actually that the show growing and I've seen that and I went back you know since, I didn't realize it's quite so long ago but i have been to a couple of focus on imaging shows as well <laughs> before it became the photography show but uh, you know one of the th- reasons i was really keen to speak with you is is you're right in the center of this so you're in the center of you know uh, of the show thing you're in the center of of the news cycle uh, and and really and products and and services uh, with digital camera world i know that's uh, you know that, that's not all the things that, that you do uh, but it's uh, it's something that was interesting but when you tell us a, a little bit about some of the other stuff that you get up to as well as editing the website
0: so, yeah, on a, on a day-to-day operational basis, my, my role is editor of Digital Camera World, which is um, it's one of the biggest um, websites in the UK and in the world. We do about 2 million unique visitors a month, so it's, it's a very, very well-visited site. Um, and we, we've, we're going through a sort of evolution as the entire photographic industry is going through an evolution at the moment, where... Um, You know, traditionally speaking, you know, you've got uh, the the background of most photographers is using SLRs, then DSLRs, and then it took a long time before digital took a foothold. And now mirrorless is kind of finally being accepted as this broad thing that like, okay, we don't have to be scared of it. It's just a camera without a mirror. It's still a camera. It still takes pictures, you know, nothing to be frightened about. But of course, photography, beyond our little bubble of people who use cameras professionally, semi-professionally, or as hobbyists, um is actually dominated now by smartphones and smart devices. So on DCW, we're making an effort now to to include, okay, a device that takes a picture... Is a camera should thus be included? So we're expanding into smartphones and you know other ex- obscure, more obscure areas of photography, like action cams and body cams, and you know different ways that is, imaging is expressed by different people. You know, it's not just what is now becoming the niche of the photographic industry is people who use you know physical camera bodies. It's almost becoming a, an outdated thing. I talk to my younger friends nowadays; many of whom consider themselves photographers or street photographers, especially. A lot of them don't own a camera. Because they've got a Google Pixel, they've got, you know, one of the the new phones, the Huawei phones, and they do, you know, as good as, in many respects, in some respects, better than traditional camera bodies can and do. So we have to be much more broad-minded these days about how we perceive photography to be. So as I say, on a day-to-day basis, my, my job is running um, the photography website and deciding, you know, what stories will go up. And there's a bigger team behind me. I don't want to take all the credit because there is a, a really strong team that we all work together. Um, so on a day-to-day basis, it's it's running the site, looking up news stories. We do a lot of camera reviews. We do lots of tutorials, um, and again, trying to um, let the visitors to the site experience this same sort of prism onto the world that we do. You know, photography isn't just cameras; it's it's phones, it's action cameras, it's all these other things. Um, on a more personal um, basis, um, I'm, I'm I'm a portrait photographer um, by background I did actually apprenticed under um, Damien McGillicuddy who's the principal photographer for uh, Olympus UK so I spent you know three years um, as his assistant shooting around the world doing you know adverts and um, shooting you know beautiful models and you know beautiful pictures of things for clients like L'Oreal and Aston Martin Racing and people like that Um, but I always come back to portraiture and as much as I try to love the idea of getting up at four in the morning to take a picture of a beautiful golden sunrise (laughs) if it doesn't have a human subject in it, it kind of like, I can't get my brain around it and I can't justify getting up that early in the morning, but if it's like getting up early in the morning to go and find a cool looking urban street somewhere or get the light just right for a a pretty face my brain sort of clicks with that and says, ah okay so I spend a lot of my free time in photography um, taking pictures, I'm lucky enough to have my partner, she's a, a professional model so I've always got a muse on hand but also she's um, a a photographer in her own right so we've got this beautiful relationship now we can go out and it's not just about me taking pretty pictures of her we'll go out you know take a bunch of lenses with us and we'll go out and do some street photography or go out to a you know a fun event or a carnival or a gig or something and and enjoy photography that way and it really reminds you because photography can be such an insular and isolated thing you know just just a you know middle-aged blokes going out with the cameras just doing whatever and it's like to me it's the the, the fun of photography and I think that's why probably so many people get so much out of the photography show It's because it's so communal and you do get to meet your, your groups of friends. You get to meet new people and you get to talk to industry folks. You know, when you're down at the pub with your mates, you're talking about, oh, my camera's got this and got that. Your mates just glaze over. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. But you talk to people who can similarly enthuse and share this passion with you. It's, you know, photography is the best hobby in the world. You know, it, it's, <laughs> it's the same as being a techie. You know, people who, who really obsess over graphics cards on PCs or the latest... Consoles or whatever it happens to be, you know, we get the benefit of that in photography because it's such a technology-driven business. But it's also an art, you know. It's it's something that we can enjoy on a creative level. So all of those things coming together, it's really why, again, as I say, photography for me is the best hobby in the world. And something like the photography show, where everyone in the in the industry is together, the trade are together, the enthusiasts are together, the pros are together, the, am- the amateurs are together. And on Tuesday, we had the students come in, so all the young kids who, you know, they're, they're just starting their journey. It's so exciting a for them from their perspective it's exciting for them to be on this journey but it's exciting for us as, as old timers in the business to say well here's some fresh blood they might have some fresh ideas or alternatively we might be the ones going digital and going this going that and it's the youngsters going back to film or going back to dark rooms so sometimes it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tortured circle but okay. um yeah,
1: good stuff. Excellent. So uh, thank you. Um, clearly, then, you are well well positioned uh, and uh, w- with enough geeky interest as well to join in the conversation that the three of us <laughs> are gathered to have. Because <laughs> you know, Chris and I, of course, you know, well, in fact, the whole of the Future of Photography podcast is is, is all about this stuff, whether it be, you know, uh, it, yeah, research into artificial intelligence for image making or or navigating cars or or right the way down to just simply put putting it as new toys you know so but, okay but well, but uh,
2: always but always with a look on on the also the social implications of uh, what that all means i think that that is kind of the key here and that's what i hear you say james that uh, the tech is one side and the tech is great and lots of stuff is happening but at the same time um that all has implications and it changes photography
0: definitely and and it's interestingly this might be something we come along to later but um chris mentioned their ai driving stuff and you've just mentioned the societal implications. And a story we've just done on the site at the end of last week and this morning was about Apple patenting this new um, synthetic group selfies um technology. <laughs> oh, um, I don't I know saw if you guys that. have seen anything about this. Yeah, it's, so it's it's the idea being that okay, the three of us, we're going to a gig, you know, as we're probably going to do after this podcast ends, we're going to go to a gig. And um, while we're at this gig, we're going to want to take a group selfie of the three of us. But invariably, in the course of doing this, we're going to find the one of us who's got the longest arms so that they can get the camera furthest away on our Phone, Um, And then we're going to have to battle with the light. We're all going to have to shuffle around in a little pod trying to get the light shining on us just right. Then we're going to have to take about 12 or 13 pictures where each one of us is is gurning or blinking or pulling the wrong expression. All in all, we're going to end up with a little group selfie of us that isn't that great. So Apple's idea is they're like, okay, let's solve this problem now of everyone trying to squeeze into the same frame. We'll do a group selfie, but what we're really going to do is the three of you are going to be taking your own selfies individually, separately, not in the same frame. And then one of you acts as a host and invites the other two of you to join. And then this app will stitch together your three individual selfies and sort of cut and shut them into one group selfie. And you can slap your own new background on the back of it as well. And it kind of makes you think like, okay, that's, that's sort of a, an elegant solution in one respect but at the same time it's again it's speaking to this idea of these artificial these AI faces that don't exist and this NVIDIA stuff (laughs) these artificial landscapes that don't exist so we've got a a group selfie that's one step removed from reality and then you take it two steps removed because you're putting in a new background I mean really do we need even to be at the same gig the three of us can we all (laughs) stay at home put the CD on stand by a blank wall take a a selfie to the three of us stitch them together and just say we've been at the gig you know it it brings up really Really interesting, you know, th- th- there may not be the most philosophical questions in the world, but we are dealing now with the nature of once upon a time a photograph literally did reflect reality. It was a recording of a moment or a capturing, you know, a, a fleeting instance in time. Now photographs kind of don't really serve that purpose anymore. And that's very much a generational shift because um, if you look through people's Facebook feeds or look through Instagram, it, we're no longer recording works of worthwhile art or worthwhile expressions of time. We're just collecting stuff for stuff's sake. And it's it seems these AI devices that we've got, which is nothing against them because I think they're brilliant technologies. And I think there's a great place for them in different applications. But we do, I think, have to be aware of how they're transforming what photography is and what it's going to achieve. And in 10 years time, is that the norm? Is the idea of taking a photograph of an actual landscape or a photograph of a real person's face or a photograph of three dudes at a real gig? Will that be an antiquated notion? Will that be the opposite to what photographs are going to be for? I really don't
1: know. Well, there you go. There we go. It's interesting. Interesting. Look at it. Um, you, as you've been talking there, you've reminded me of um, a souvenir photograph that uh, that I have actually from my honeymoon, which was. A while ago, <laughs> um, which is one of those ones. I think it was taken on a, on a boat trip, a dinner on a boat, and they took a photo of us, just just the two of us, you know. And and then it came back and it was printed, and all of the all of the uh, the sites of the 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 area we were visiting were all printed around the edges of this thing, and it was in a wonderfully uh, cheap frame as well. <laughs> um, and it, it was, uh, but it's it it remains, and this is the interesting thing, isn't it? It remains uh, something that we both love very. Different. Really, my wife and I um, because it it helps us remember a, a fun and silly time that we were having yeah one evening on our honeymoon but there you go its it, it, so I saw that apple thing and I thought wow that's that is interesting isn't it because you know is, is it then is it still a photograph is it you know, but and is that different from somebody who is a dedicated landscape photographer taking many many shots of the same scene or or panoramas and things like that at different times of day uh, with different lighting and then compositing those into into a single image. Is that still a photograph? It's, it's the grey areas, isn't it? It's 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 something that uh, it's something that I'm I'm really interested in the these sort of these sort of grey areas and, and where we're going. And Chris, you you wanted to talk today as well, <laughs> didn't you, about uh, AR and VR? Well,
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, we we still call the things in our pockets phones, even though that's probably the one thing that we're not really doing with them anymore is making <laughs> phone calls. So <laughs> so photography will be photography. It will be called photography, but. it is, is in the middle of morphing into something completely new. Um, I'd like to just touch on a few things, a few tech developments. I mean, we all agree there is a huge social change, a huge, huge shift going on right now in photography. But, um, of course, uh, some of that is enabled by the technology that changes. So I would like to just touch on a few things. And maybe one of the biggest ones right now is NVIDIA uh, with all their computational stuff. So they can now create people they can now create landscapes they can now create cars and anything pretty much um and it's still has some artifacts but this is only the beginning this is going to become better so um what's your thoughts in in that direction because i mean it it certainly will have an influence on on things like stock photography and so on
0: my my first, my very first thought, which there may be an answer to that I'm just, I just haven't paid attention to, but is who owns the copyright to these? So if, if I go on to, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't know yet whether the technology exists, but for example, you go on to the n- nvidia.com slash fake face website where it generates artificial faces. If I go on there and I put in whatever parameters I want to put in and then an image is produced, did I create that or did, did NVIDIA create that? I'm not quite clear on that part of things.
2: Okay.
1: Um, that's a, that's a, so. it's an interesting one, is it? Because it's is it it's an is it is it art even? Because yeah. to copyright something, it it has to be I don't know it has to be a, a discrete artifact, doesn't it? It's it's it, it, it goes back to the same the, the similar sort of argument as to when
0: when somebody you know when you set a camera up on a tripod to take a picture, but somebody else clicks the button, you know, and obviously it's officially it's the person who clicks the shutter who um took the photograph unless it's a monkey of course yeah well indeed yes in (laughs) which case we get into lovely wonderful tortured arguments that we can build great stories on but yeah i mean that 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 to me purely as as somebody interested in that sort of thing i think well who owns that who actually owns that photograph of that person or call it a person of that 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 fake person who doesn't exist who thus has no rights on that image um the same with a landscape you know how and how how then can that landscape image be resold or distributed um, does there have to be an implicit ownership from the nvidia side because it couldn't exist without their technology and um, by the same token whatever camera you take any picture with your picture couldn't exist without your camera so do we then get into this convoluted argument of ownership based on the source of capture um I ju- I ju- that was my first instinct was first of all just who owns the stuff because that's just how my brain works
2: well and and, and the, those algorithms are at least partially now out in the wild. so you, you see websites out there that generate cars and other things based on that same uh, the same networks that they developed. so you can you, you won't even have to just look at people at photos of people or fake photos of fake people, but uh, pretty much everything that you can train that AI on.
0: And I don't, you know, implicitly I don't have a problem with it. As as a piece of technology, I think it's fantastic. Also, potentially, dangerous isn't quite the right word, but it's something we do have to monitor because as with anything that creates something from nothing, um, there is the potential for it to do things that we didn't anticipate. So I think it's something that needs to be monitored in some respect. Um, But but as so as a technology, I have no issue with it Uh, as a photographer and as someone who covers photography, obviously it has different implications, um, namely in terms of what it does to um, the business of photography and the incomes of photographers and the you know, the the, the, how well the industry can survive. So we mentioned before about landscapes like, okay. If you're a landscape photographer, or let's say you're, you are, um, just because I live outside Bath, I am Bath City Council. So all of my landscape photography, I, w- I would pretty much imagine most of the photography I would want taken for my purposes would be of Bath and around Bath and Somerset. So probably this technology isn't going to be hugely relevant to me and my needs. And if I'm a photographer based in, around, you know, um, Wiltshire, Somerset, taking photographs of Bath, this technology probably isn't going to threaten me because it creates landscapes that don't exist. So in that respect, that's fine. Specific photographs of specific stuff should, in theory, always be safe. But if you, if we're talking more stock photography, then it becomes an issue. It really does become an issue because no longer then is it incumbent on the photographer to go out and you know go to lots of locations or see lots of different people or lots of different vehicles or whatever and get a nice vast catalogue of stuff. It literally cuts out the, the purpose of that stock photographer. So we're looking at... It's it's cutting off different sections of the industry, and I know stock photography has kind of been on the decline for a while now. Um, but we, you know, this this really does threaten to be the end of it as a viable means of of sole income, at least I would think, except for the very very few people who are either that good or doing specific things. But we are looking at a, a definite change in the business of photography, and um, anything that means people lose income or lose jobs to me has to be a bad thing. You know, as, as admirable as technology is. If somebody's losing their income or losing their job, that has to be something that needs to be considered. But again, is that being a Luddite? Uh, is it the same as when machines came into factories? You know, um, it's always sad when there's a human cost, but is that the price of growth and technology? It's a difficult well, question to answer.
2: And the specific photographs of specific things being safe, even that, I think, is being broken up. If you look at just a plain old IKEA catalogue, which is like 90% computer generated even though it is of specific things so other people are taking over you know photographers don't really set up those rooms anymore and take pictures of them
0: no, I mean, I remember, as I say, when I used to work for um, for Damien McGillicuddy, who um, back in the day would do lots of also um, car photography for luxury car brands. And his big old studio, it used to be sizable. <laughs> you could bring in like a Rolls Royce, for example, and literally saw the, the roof off the Rolls Royce and do top down shots of the interiors. You know, that that's what photography used to be. You wanted an interior shot. You had to get a camera inside the car. And it's a long time since we've done that kind of photography. You know nowadays it's all renders, it's all you know privileged generated perspectives. And so so, yeah, again, part of you thinks like, okay, well, probably on an insidious level, this kind of thing's been going on for a lot longer than maybe the general public is aware of. But does that make it any better just because people didn't know? Does that mean it's still okay if if people have been tricked for this long already? Does that mean we should really be asking why have we been tricked for so long rather than saying, "Oh, well, we've already been hoodwinked, so let's just let's just roll with the punches." Again, these these are these are more philosophical questions for people with uh, with with less real-world philosophy to deal with, I think. <laughs>
1: so i think so it gets takes us it takes us into yes philosophical speculation rather than gadget specification but that's it? what we love it's doing nice. here
2: on the show philosophical Specific. speculation
1: <laughs> <laughs> we could rename the show to that uh, yes par, par philo- yes the future of philosophy rather than photography
0: hey or, yeah, i'm down with that <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK, so I'm going to try and drag us back into something that's a little bit more tangible just for a few minutes, because one of the things that I noted, uh, James, was that for the first time this year at the photography show, there was um, something that was I won't call an add on because it was a bit more than an add on, but there was the video show. And uh, I'm interested in yeah uh, to understanding what what's driven that then is it, how has that become added to the portfolio for the show and and where does that fit within in the trends that you're seeing? So again, um
0: to to speak um, back to what I was saying before about what we perceive to be the photographic industry and how it's expanding and changing, um in ways that may be more welcome to some people than others, but it is growing and changing nonetheless. So much as the devices we're using to capture things, whether it's a smartphone or an action camera or a dash cam or your drones, everything like that, also, people who who have cameras now are getting more into video, especially when you have the you know, YouTube and the blogosphere and the vlogosphere and everything else. It's become more and more important. It seems, at least as a as a spec as a bullet point on a spec sheet, when you buy a modern camera these days, it's it's almost a requirement that it has to have 4K or really, really, really good 1080. You know, it's it's now cameras need to have video. And this is a trend that's been happening for a while, and we've been trying to reflect it on DCW, the website as well, where photographers are increasingly becoming passive or active videographers. And you find, so let's say five, five, ten years ago, however long it was, when people who had DSLRs said, you know what, I've got a decent camera, I'm going to go out and shoot weddings now, because that's what I'm going to do. And so we had lots of weekend warriors taking their sort of prosumer kit out and photographing weddings or photographing events or doing proms or whatever happened to be. So, in the same respect that your your DSLRs at that stage were then capable of doing professional or semi-professional um, wedding and event photography, now most prosumer cameras can do really, really good video, um, saleable business level video in some cases. So a lot of folks who are buying a nice new mirrorless camera or DSLR are saying, you know what, I can shoot 4K with this. I'll try doing some vlogs or I'll try doing, you know, some some YouTube stuff. Other people might go, you know what, I've got this 4K thing. I can add to my wedding business that I set up 10 years ago with my DSLR doing photographs, I can now cover this with videos as well. So there's definitely a growing element, whether it's for personal or professional use of existing photographers who are always stills first people and they weren't necessarily getting into, they weren't buying a new Canon or a new Nikon or a new Olympus or whatever to do video. But because all the new cameras have great video, they become de facto videographers. And some people will just play with it for five minutes and go, you know what, I like still pictures better, no worries. Other people will just see an avenue, an opportunity, and go, you know what, I wanna get out and I wanna get a cine lens or I wanna learn, you know, how to shoot with the right shutter speeds and I wanna do this and do that. And that's really where our interest in growing the coverage of video on the website and following through on that, the inclusion of the video show as part of the photography show really came from because it's becoming more and more a sort of hybridized industry where people, there are as many photographers who shoot with drones, shoot video, shoot with all sorts of other equipment. And that's really where it came from, was was more of a, it was meeting the need, but also just helping people who weren't aware, just broaden their perspective and say, you know what, you've got this stuff on your camera. If you want to use it, Come to the show, find out how to use it better. Come to the talks or listen to the guys, or you know, just talk to other videographers about the kit you've got. Um, I think the the big thing for me at the photography show and the video show in general, it's it's not really a salesy thing, and people do go there to buy kit, and there are great show deals and things. But to me, it's always been just a great um, and a thought space where you can share ideas. And to me, as somebody who's interested in video but I don't know a lot about it, I met with some of my younger friends who are there exclusively they're into video, they're into YouTube, they know everything. So we sort of hooked. Up. Up. We're standing on the Atomos stand. I'm looking at the new Shinobi monitors and going, well, this monitor looks cool. Why do I need a monitor? My camera's got a screen <laughs> on the back. What does that do? And John saying to me, oh, old man, blah, 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 fills me in on how else everything works. So it's a great place to educate. And as much as anything else, that's what, what TPS and um, the photography show is all about, is, is is educating and letting people know how to get more out of the kit that they have. And for me, as, as someone who's still first guy to learn more about video, it really served that purpose for me. So, So yes, in a very long-winded way, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) The purpose of the video show was to expand the remit of what everything that attracts people to the photography show that should be available to them for video as well, because more and more people who have a camera for stills are getting into video as well.
1: Yeah no and and I think that that came through actually I mean the what what I was experiencing is you know being a, a punter on the show floor as it were was was that there was there was lots and lots of more I think than in previous years more theatres you know theatre spaces for workshops and 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 for presentations and education sessions um, including specific to video, and then out on the floor were all sorts of gadgets and gizmos. You know that so that you know things like sliders, um, which of course you know uh, pre- predominantly uh, a, a video-oriented piece of kit, but but you know more and more appearing as you say uh, alongside other kit in um, in the bags of people who are primarily still shooters or, or have come from the world of, of still shooting. So I think yeah, and I think it's interesting to see that coming into uh, i think the the pro kit level stuff that was there at the show as well as well as the the consumer kit um i was looking for i didn't i didn't find it in the end i was looking for the osmo pocket and <laughs> i was going ah, right, to look, yes. look at look at that and uh, the, the 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 new very very tiny um, handheld video camera with a built-in gimbal from dji um us, using their um small camera and uh, and their mm-hmm. gimbal technologies from drones i guess and and taking that into to new spaces so, uh, so I, t- I tell you what, the, one of the other things I was looking at, yeah, I'm, yeah. one of the things I saw at the show, lots of stuff on, on printing, printing, still a big thing, especially those big showcase uh, things that you hang on the wall, um, lo- loving that, loving the video stuff, uh, loving the analog stuff. And we could talk, we could talk about the analog stuff as well. But um, one of the things that. I guess I wanted to ask you is it, it was there was there a key couple of things that that you really that really jumped out at you and and this could be from uh, uh, you know from stuff you've seen on on the DCW website recently or or from the show yeah you know, things that you think are products that uh, that could be Pro- properly take things in a new direction and and yeah and and you yeah, know it is difficult for me as as you said we have this problem about being you know middle-aged blokes um <laughs> I have that problem um and uh, so I, I'm trying to think well actually you know what's the thing that's new that is the thing that's going to be picked up by by all the photographers in the world um you know accepting that most of those photographers at this point are probably 30 years younger than I am <laughs> <laughs> yes I, I know the feeling well um, well I think the big, the main takeaway
0: certainly in terms of of the direction of the industry, if not the reception of the consumer, which I'll come back to in a moment. Um, and this is something that started really in full force at Photokina last year. And it's not a new thing, but it is obviously it's it's when the big boys caught up. So when Canon and Nikon both decided, hey, full frame mirrorless is actually a thing, we should probably get in on this. Um, that has become the narrative and the driving force and the impetus. Of the industry at the moment so the big thing at the photography show as it was at Photokina as it is virtually every week on the website there's a new full-frame mirrorless camera coming out and um, for some people who who aren't so on the ball with things that seems quite exotic and new and fresh and exciting but of course you know Sony have been doing full-frame mirrors for a long time Panasonic and Olympus have been doing mirrorless you know for, for, for donkey's years but that really has been the big thing the whole industry is throwing its weight behind full-frame mirrorless because they see this as the next big thing or the current big thing that they're waiting for people to to accept as the next big thing and on a technological level that is true and in terms of the imaging and the quality and everything else that we're getting in the performance yes full-frame mirrorless is fantastic but um I think it was the 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 SEPA figures this morning that I just saw from Japan um you know camera shipments are down 35% year on year and that's that's Staggering. That's truly, truly staggering. Since February last year, we're selling a third less cameras, despite Canon and Nikon both throwing all their weight behind full frame mirrorless. I mean, that's kind of an alarming and upsetting. Um, statistic from an industry point of view from a tech point of view because it seems that like okay these are literally the latest cutting edge sensors latest cutting edge bodies certainly in the nikon latest cutting edge image stabilization everything you could possibly want in a new camera has been given to us and yet there are now a third less cameras being shipped and sold There's something wrong here. So that's why I say in terms of what the industry is delivering, that's the big message. Latest cameras, full-frame mirrorless, brilliant. But consumers don't seem to be responding. And it's difficult to know exactly whether that's because, as a general broad brush rule, consumers are more interested in what their phones can do rather than paying three or four grand for a new camera, or if it's just because we've just reached a plateau of what people are interested in, because really what's selling the most out there is um, physical instant cameras. Instant cameras are enormous. Um, and speaking to this, you know, Canon have just revealed their first uh, their first wave of instant <laughs> cameras. Yes. You know, on the one hand, they're trying to push out um, you know, the ESR and the ESRP, which are very capable, you know, formidable cameras. But people are actually buying the blooming Instax cameras that we've had for years and years and years and years. <laughs> and uh, I actually sp- I said this to you Adrian when we spoke last time so at Photokina I have vivid memories of Fujifilm announcing a partnership with Taylor Swift for their Instax cameras I think it was the S- SQ6 or SQ20 one of the two Instax cameras they announced this big global partnership they were going to partner with Taylor Swift on her world tour and going to sell these Instax cameras and I remember at the time I just I chuckled and I said this is crazy what are they thinking they're pairing up with Taylor Swift to release you know instant cameras this is madness and then fast forward. So january february and it turns out fujifilm have sold nearly a million instax cameras every month since that deal and can, so you, put the pers- the
1: re- can you put that Sorry, in perspective ahead. for us because because i i don't know i mean you mentioned the sepa numbers i have to say it's not something i track so so just just how what, what proportion of of the sales of other cameras is is this instax phenomenon now
0: um, so if, if we look at, um, so to use, I, I, I'd I be lying if I tried to pull the numbers out specifically, so I'll just talk in broader terms. So we know that DSLR shipments have just kind of, they're tailing off like nobody's business. Mirrorless shipments in and of themselves are going up, but they're not going up because they're mirrorless and they're new. They're going up to replace the the, the amount that DSLRs were falling. So, you know, we're kind of maintaining a baseline of traditional cameras, if we want to put that in inverted commas, but it's, it's staying at the same level and going slightly down because people aren't buying DSLR they're buying more mirrorless instead of buying DSLRs but they're not buying more mirrorless on top of DSLRs so traditional camera sales are kind of flatlined, slash starting to go down and down and down and then by this this 33% drop I've just mentioned apparently they're going down a lot sooner than anyone predicted but the growth industry by leaps and bounds is, is this instant camera phenomenon and again if we include smartphones into the mix so I couldn't give you say oh well Canon sold you know half a million of this camera so unfortunately I can't be as helpful in that respect but to sell, I think it's 900,000 units to be more specific for the, for the Fuji Instax stuff. But I mean, it's, 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 I don't know if it's unprecedented, but to me, as as somebody who is writing about this stuff, I don't remember something being so enormously successful within the last, you know, X number of years, you know, those sales haven't been seen since sort of the, the the glory, the glory years, um, a few years ago, when DSLRs and and then mirrorless started selling bucket loads. So the fact that, the main industry is pushing cutting-edge, bleeding-edge tech, but the consumers are res- responding to old-school tech, which may and may not have something to do with the price point.
2: Well, is it old-school though? I mean, what what we're looking at is a, is an entire generation that hasn't grown up with film photography, so they are they are getting an experience that they don't have or never had—that a very tangible, very haptic experience, that uh, that one-of-a-kind result of, a, of an instant photo is just something that they are not used to. So this is exciting for them. This changes things from uh, infinite infinite reproducibility of photos to this thing that you can give away, and it's only this one thing. So I think that that is one area that I believe um, makes this so exciting for a younger generation. And uh, the other is, of course, as you um, alluded to earlier, the smartphones taking over. Um they are they are in the middle of cracking the different bastions that the traditional cameras used to have the 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 high dynamic range every smartphone now shoots HDR all the time um the image stabilization is getting to a point where you might be able to just throw away your gimbals in the future um they can simulate depth of field now they are if you look at Google's pixel they can be really good in low light so I think it it is at a level where it's good enough, same same as in music, uh the MP three has become good enough, even though a lot of audiophiles will will still like uncompressed audio. So the same is happening in cameras, I think. Yeah, I think
0: to, to speak to that first point about the, ta- the tactility of having a physical artifact, and I, it, it's easy for us, I'll speak to myself, it's easy for me to forget. So I, I found out the other day I'm a Xenial because I'm between a Gen Xer and a Millennial. So I'm a Xenial, <laughs> Um which is a fantastic I've term. i never heard that I, one before. <laughs> no, I had no idea it existed, but apparently it does and I'm I'm one of it. So as a zennial, I forget that I was part of that transition where I started with physical stuff and then we went to Um, digital stuff. And to me, that's a progression. That's a marked progression in my mind. Physical is old and clunky, and why are we doing that? Digital is new and exciting, and that's the future. But we've got the, the millennial wave now who came in most likely after physical stuff was a thing, so now they don't have that same um, curve that we have, where they go from one thing to another. They start with a digital thing. So now the idea of having a physical thing is different. And it's, it's, it's not a progression in the same way that it was for us on a technological level. But as you say, it's something new to them. They've not experienced mm-hmm. this before, that you can take an image and have a physical thing come out. I mean, they know what it is. They're not stupid, but they haven't had that before. Uh, again, as I, I said earlier, my my, my, my half professional model. So when we do our shoots, we do a million and Odd pictures on SD cards, and we put them on the computer, and that's fab. But we always end every shoot with a Polaroid, and the Polaroid goes on the fridge. <laughs> yeah. So we have hundreds and hundreds of, of beautiful images and images that go in our portfolios and they're sold and everything else and they're retouched and they look fantastic. But the image that we actually keep is the ratty old one on a Polaroid that we stick on the fridge. And I think that really <laughs> speaks to the mentality. And she, she's 10 years younger than me, so she comes more from the millennial generation than I do. And I think that's that's a definite thing. People of that age are experiencing something new that we took for granted and kind of discarded and perhaps we lost the value in it. Maybe it's our fault as the, zenial, the middle group. We're the ones that didn't see value in old analog traditional stuff and it's the young people that do by that's the same token that, when that. we when we mention the smartphone stuff where now your smartphone can do um, high dynamic range it can do depth of field it can do all this stuff that's when Our age group gets quite possessive because we feel (laughs) that having fought through the settings and the knobs and the dials and and then before that, burning through all those rolls of film, trying to work out how the hell to get a decent exposure. The fact that some 18-year-old can just turn on their phone, press one button and get a decently exposed picture. Some people take umbrage to that. They think, hang (laughs) on a second, I spent ages setting up my ISO, the aperture, I might even get a light meter out to make sure my image is perfect. And this kid's just, just pressing a button on his phone and then he gets the HDR that it takes me a tripod and lots of, you know, focus stacking to do. So there is a kind of resistance from that respect, from the old schoolers to the new technology, which I, I understand. I don't I don't quite agree with, but I do understand. But ultimately, you know, you, you can't you can't fight the turning of the wheel. You know, phones now do so much, and we'd be stupid not to pay attention to that. And again, if we talk about this AI thing again in terms of how it relates to photography. We know that Olympus are doing this, Sony are doing this, they're doing AI or deep learning, if you want to be finicky about this, the, the, the terminology, deep learning um, autofocus technology. So the new Olympus, the OMD em EM1X, does planes, trains, and automobiles. It can detect a car in the frame, and it will track it. It can detect a plane or a train and track it. The same with the Sony eye, eye tracking. It'll track the eye in the frame. If you turn your head around and come back, it'll track where the eye is. Um, and all that sort of stuff is kind of being pioneered by phones because phones don't inherently have all the stuff that cameras do. So they've got to cheat. They've got to do it in software. They've got to do fake depth of field because they can't do real depth of field. So if we ignore and we dismiss and write off the the breakthroughs that phones are making, we're really just cutting off our nose to spite our face because that... We've reached the end, if we're honest, we've kind of reached the end of what a traditional camera can do. We can give it a bigger sensor and get more pictures in a kind of very caveman way of bigger is better. Brilliant. We can maybe get a bit more dynamic range if we get better sensors. Brilliant. But... The real breakthroughs are being made in software and AI and all these other clever things that phones do. So as much as part of me wants to say, oh, you need a real camera to be a real photographer, no. Whatever device you've got that takes a picture, you're a photographer, mate. And if your pictures are better than mine because you've got better software, I'd better up my game or try the software you're trying. And that, that's just my perspective on things.
1: That is a very nice summary of, of of a lot of things that we talk about on our show, actually, and very well put, if I may say so. <laughs>
0: if, if I just step down from my soapbox
1: now, <laughs> yeah. No, but this is this is the thing, isn't it? You know, so so the, the, these are the things that happen, and and as Chris and I have discussed quite a lot, is that actually who are who are the people that take photographs? Well, the vast majority of people who take photographs um don't own a, a traditional camera, the, and and the, you know they're they're taking lots and lots of things. And um, whilst you have been, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you and Chris talking about that i've actually managed to look up the SEpa figures um so ah. um in january uh, twenty nineteen uh there were a million digital cameras sold worldwide it says uh DSC how a quality of total shipment of DSC which are digital sensor cameras i don't know exactly of which half a million about 55% of those were interchangeable lens and 50% or 45% were sorry were uh uh were built-in lens it says here on the on on the charts for from sepa um so so against your was it a million a month for Instax
0: yeah it was, it was ni- 900,000 i think is the Okay the so, so
1: so Instax so. is currently selling on its own Almost as many camera units as everybody else put together, which is which is staggering in, in in any respect. When one
0: brand or one model is outselling everything else combined, you have to pay attention at that
1: point. So so if we look at that on the numbers, and if we and if uh, if I recall conversations I was having at the photography show uh, a few weeks back. Um, about you know the the number of extra um, uh, booths and stands related to analog imaging of one sort or another um, and the direction of travel for that being very very much upwards um, is it correct to say that the, the trend we're seeing is that the future of photography is very analog <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least in the immediate term, and again,
0: I don't know, this may speak to one of a number of factors. Is it the fact that if you bought a camera five years ago, it's probably still a pretty good camera? So if you spent a grand, two grand, three grand, however much you spend on your camera, if you bought one five years ago, does it really need replacing Probably not, unless you're like the three of us and you want the latest kit or you enjoy or you specifically want something that a new camera delivers. If you're just a regular fella or a regular girl who just wants to take the odd picture, the camera you got five years ago probably doesn't need replacing. Therefore, you don't need to buy one. So that could be a factor. Price could also be a factor. If we look at a decent mid-range camera nowadays being, I don't know, anywhere between a grand and a couple of grand for most people, a lot, well, even for photographers, is a lot of money, but we, we know that photography is an expensive hobby. But for your regular person looking at buying a camera and, you, and they say to you, what camera have you got? You tell them how much it costs. Their eyes will fall out of their head. They'll be like, My God, I can buy a car for that. Why would you spend that money on a thing that your phone does? <laughs> so are we pricing out? Are we being almost elitist? Are we pricing new people out of the industry? Is that why Instax is selling so much? Because there are people that want to take photography in a more meaningful, thoughtful way than their phone can deliver but the only thing they can afford or the only thing they're willing to invest that kind of money in is a hundred pounds instant camera i I don't know that might be the simple Mm, answer it might be off way off the mark i don't know but we have to think about those things and again that brings us back to this thing of what is photography should it be this you know this this lone bloke out with a lens at four o'clock in the morning taking pictures of misty landscapes or should it be 10 of us around the table at a pub talking about pictures we've taken because it becomes difficult to get 10 blokes around a table if they've all spent a grand each that's 10 grand at that table if they've all spent two you know you do the maths suddenly there's there's you know there's a thick end of 50 grand sat at a table in a pub and i don't know how realistic that is Um, aside from our niche groups of friends that we only see once a year at the photography show most of our friends at the pub their common interests are probably things like football and things like cars things they all have in everyday life in common. But to ask somebody to spend that kind of money on cameras is a really really big ask i don't think you're gonna get many soccer moms or many you know your brother-in-law buying you a camera for christmas they're just not gonna buy you you know a, 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 an a7r3 it's not gonna happen they might buy you an instax because it's a cool thing it's a physical thing it's a nice giftable thing and that, that that's probably one of the very real realities of, of this development apart from the fact that maybe yes maybe it is all just going back analog that's that's equally possible <laughs> because the students that we speak to and certainly on the Tuesday at the photography show that the younger people i was speaking to and my younger friend group that are at university they're all into film uh instax being part of that but they're genuinely into film they're into dark rooms they're into analog cameras they're into pinhole cameras and you think like wow my generation kind of just writes that off as being a quirky thing that you do with your body cap you drill a hole in it and take a picture with a pinhole and you decide you don't want to do it anymore but that's kind of where the artistry is it's not it's not fiddling about with you know raw files on in photoshop you know the real art of photography is Putting you know putting cruddy old fifty pound lenses you have got on eBay onto a new camera and seeing the groovy effects you can get, or putting a, a roll of film in the wash with some bleach and destroying it and then taking some pictures with it because that's what young kids are doing. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff that we probably used to do twenty years ago, and now we've grown out of it for whatever reason. But and that stuff's affordable. You can go down to a you know a junk shop and buy a half decent old Yashica or something for a twenty quid with a probably with a lens on it. Just go and go and get some Ilford film or something for another few quid, and bang, twenty five quid. You've got a camera you can take pictures. That's a long way from two and a half grand for a, a mirrorless camera these days.
2: Well, there's there's a there's a, a whole new generation uh, growing up with that. <clears throat> just just another, a week from now, next weekend, we are, we are going to hold a workshop here in Berlin to um, to explore the extremes of film photography, which includes things that. Film, film didn't used to be uh, that fun of a thing. It was a very meticulous, very precise thing or had to be back in, let's say, the 80s. And now um, people want to explore how can I push and pull? How can I cross-develop? How can I um, – what, what can I get out of expired film? There's a surprise factor and so on. So there's, there's this entire um, very, um, I'd say, baggage-free way to approach this as – almost like as a playground and what we see on the workshops is at least half of the people who participate are are 30 or younger and the other half is people who kind of want to go get back into it because they they have sworn a long time ago that they'll never touch that that stuff again (laughs) but uh but now they, they they kind of miss it
1: do you Know on a slightly slightly faster cycle? I'm very much like that. As I sit here at the moment at my desk recording, I can see I can only see one actual camera, and that was the one I bought at the photography show a few weeks ago a Fujifilm XF10. Lovely little pocket camera, recommend it. Um, uh, although uh, you know, elsewhere in the room are my Bronica and some other other cameras, and I, I do have Instax cameras as well. And uh, for me, sometimes it's it, it's absolutely cyclical and it's about the trend, um, uh, on the day now, um we should probably start to wind this up um james um thank you very much for coming to talk to us have you enjoyed yourself
0: i've had a great time i I feel like i've kind of i've ranted and raved quite a lot but i've I've had a great time anyway i thought
1: brilliant that's all right you know it's it's a therapeutic thing making a podcast it's just (laughs) part of the reason i do it i suspect, it's part of the reason chris does it yes absolutely (laughs) so i tell you what can, can we um can we tempt you though james into making some kind of wild speculation um this is something that we do like to do on the show and and we won't put you out there on your own and um, I'm, I'm prepared to have a go and i'm sure chris is as well um but yeah wh- whether you'd like to think about what uh the photography show looks like in 2020 uh or whether you would like to think about a particular type of product or or activity in the world of, of image making um yeah and uh can you What what do you think is some of the one of the The slightly odder or crazier things that you're seeing uh, that might just happen. Right. So this
0: is something that I saw at the photography show for the first time this year. And it's something I've been aware of for a long time that I think is going to happen in the future. So to give a little bit of my background, um, before I was a photography journalist, I was a video games journalist for about 10 years. So I used to write about, you know, Mario and Grand Theft Auto and all that sort of stuff. But there's been a growing trend in video games of, there is a, there is a better name for it, and I do apologize for not being able to recall it, but it's basically virtual photography. It's in-game photography. Now, it's not a case of just pausing the game and taking a a photograph or anything like that it's a dedicated mode in a game called photo mode where you can liberate the camera from your character from the scene from the setting move the camera around in the virtual space choose your aperture choose your shutter speed choose the lens choose the lens flare all that sort of stuff and make it a very fully formed virtual photograph of landscapes that exist only in the virtual space Uh, And if you think about it in terms of something like Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption, two games from Rockstar Studios, if you don't know who they are, I would imagine everyone knows what Grand Theft Auto is, but these games cost in the region of $100 million to make. And... It is worth the while of the people making this hundred million dollar game to put in this photo mode. It's seen as that important in terms of the game sales and the game's afterlife that we include this mode. And there is a growing, very, very growing number of users in this virtual photography industry. And there are specialists, there are specialists who do space photography in space video games. They do pictures of Mars, pictures of Saturn, you know, that we can't do. So they are astrophotographers in this realm of, of photography. <laughs> there are people who do landscapes, they do creative stuff, they do 80s themed neon stuff, they do so so short virtual photography in video games it's limited only really by the amount of control you have over the camera because if you have a mouse or a control pad you can maneuver the camera in a certain number of ways however if we look at another growing technology which is the augmented um, reality the goggles that people like epson are making at the moment and these are at present used in a a lot of cases for drone photography so you can get a, a first person view of what your drone is seeing as you're flying your drone If we look five years into the future, if we amalgamate this sort of VR or this augmented reality headsets, and there are already VR headsets for games consoles and for PCs, so if we look at where those two technologies will converge, completely independently, no one necessarily thought of doing an augmented reality headset to do video game photography, but sooner or later, someone's going to twig that you put those two technologies together, and all of a sudden, you're not just limited by pressing the controller up to make the camera go up or down or turn left or right. You can get those privileged perspectives as if you were on the street... Crouching, tilting your head up to look at the top of the Eiffel Tower or to stand on the edge of a ravine, tilt your head down and look at the crevice below. So I think there's a very, very real possibility that virtual photography, whether it's in the same context as we know it now or not, but then again, going back to what NVIDIA are doing with artificial landscapes, maybe it is the thing. But the way those two technologies are going to converge, I think in five or 10 years' time, we're going to see a far more prolific and realised version of virtual photography where it, it combines headsets and augmented reality with photography in a more digital, offhand, non-camera body requiring realm. That's where I think things might be in five or ten years' time.
1: Okay, that's pretty cool. Thank you. That's pretty out with, there as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I photography without it is. cameras. It's, I, it, do you know, and, and I have a, an in not, not particularly an insight to that, but uh, a good friend of mine um, who will remain nameless just for now, um, he actually got his start into real photography from exactly that, from doing in-game photography some years back. Um, you know when it was in a very much a nascent state i guess a few years back you could take a picture of the car you were racing or or, or whatever but uh um he he got the bug for, from that but so yeah okay great thank you very much chris do you want to go next or shall i
2: well uh, let, let me just just add to this um virtual in-game photography uh thing that james talked about because i mean the, fir- the first time i saw this and in a very amazing kind of uh Uh, amalgamation of different media was in firewatch two three years ago um, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful game and it it had this photo mode it was the first time i was aware of that and you could just switch into uh, pretty much put a virtual camera on and i think it had a roll of film in it a virtual roll of film with 10 shots or something but then what you could do in the end is you could order those photos on paper so yes. they yeah. allowed you and, and i did that <laughs> you still have this thing cool. this is envelope of photos that i took in the game so i have a physical memento of playing that game which is just a wonderful combination so i i think yeah this is something that that i wholeheartedly agree with um the other thing that i see just being becoming much bigger in the hopefully near future is the whole area of vr and ar we were seeing all the companies. Uh, I think that they have four four uh, untethered AR headsets coming out or VR headsets coming out. Um there's a whole new market forming there. And it's going to be consumer priced. So it's not in the many thousands anymore. It's like in the under five hundred range where these things will be living. Um so that and I don't really know what that will do with photography, but it is going to be a clear influence on photography maybe in the virtual domain but probably when we look at augmented reality where you have this mixture of real and virtual reality um i just i just have an inkling that that will probably seep back into photography in some way
1: okay cool thanks chris well i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to the, the the theme of analog photography for my wild speculation um and i know that you know because uh, so some of the people who had booths at the photography show this year uh, related to analog products of different kinds uh they're they're, they're friends of mine uh and uh, so i i kind of know some of what they're thinking but i'm going to go out on a limb and say that when i turn up to the photography show in march 2020 it's not just going to be digital photography and video there is going to be a whole analog section as well. Uh, where there are different analog products for all parts of the workflow, whether that be, uh, from, for film, uh, for film cameras, uh, for any, any of the developing and scanning and, and printing stuff. I, th- I think, including all darkroom stuff as well. I think there's going to be more for that. Um, and, uh, I, I'm not sure that I'm confident enough to say that somebody's going to put a, a world-class lens on an instant camera. <laughs> because <laughs> that seems to be something that goes against that trend for slightly lower fidelity analog images but uh, i still think it's an exciting time for for analog imaging as well okay wow brilliant um thanks again james uh great to have you to join us um and uh, thank you for for your insights to the way things are moving at the moment um i think we probably uh need to wrap up there don't we chris
2: oh yes we do and um yeah james thank you so much for coming on the show Uh, Everyone listening to this, I um, highly recommend you check out the rest of our archive. This is episode 74, and there's more at The Future of Photography or wherever you get your podcasts. So, James, thank you, and we hope to have you back one day.
0: Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. I'd love to come back one day.
2: You've been listening to The Future of Photography – a production
0: by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com.